Hello, and welcome once again to This Week in the Ancient Near East, the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, as always, are two academics from real institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're speaking to you from the rooftop bar at the Dr. James Kildare Center for Medical Ethics here on the beautiful Hoople campus. Today we're talking about a new article that suggests disarticulated skulls during the Neolithic period, that is to say skulls removed from the body, are evidence of human sacrifice. This contrasts sharply with the traditional view that disarticulated skulls are evidence of ancestor cults wherein grandparents had their heads removed, plastered, and set into walls, presumably for purposes of veneration and communication. How do you distinguish an ancestor cult from a sacrificial cult? Is this really an archaeological question regarding the nature of early farming societies, or just a manifestation of the ick factor that doesn't want to hear about how nasty things were in the past? Where does mystical, murderous nonsense like human sacrifice and cannibalism come from? Is it an elite product, or is it written in our stars? Hi. Um, what are we talking about? Okay, the, the lightning round. A little bit different this time. Uh-oh. Um, but it, it's apropos, obviously. Describe the Neolithic in 10 words or less. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to have to cut out this little void or put in a musical interlude. All right. I'll give it a shot. Okay. Uh... (laughs) You want me to go first? Yes. But does it have to be full sentences? No words. Okay. (laughs) Am I going? Yeah, sure. Nasty, brutish, and short. Oh God! But it's—I mean, it was long. <laughs> already, already, we get to to Locke and Rousseau. <laughs> no, and I didn't—I didn't bring Rousseau into any of this. Well, you it, without you, if you bring in Locke, you bring in Rousseau. It's, it's <laughs> they, they come as a pair. <laughs> it's in their contract. <laughs> as they say in the South, it's a bedroom suit. <laughs> it's uh. <laughs> Yeah, who are those? Who are those lion tamer guys? Um, uh, oh yeah, the guys in Las Vegas. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, it's like I, them. Okay, so right, you go next. I have to close. <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 closing his door. He's afraid that that his his pint sized um, characterization of the Neolithic is going to leak out. Before the, the this episode, no, there's just a lot of ambient noise from the street, as you know. <laughs> Anything yeah. from next door? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, good. All right. Uh, so you went with Locke. I'm going to go with 
you never have enough storage. Um, uh, gruel and beer over grilled meat. And uh, a little a little place I can call home. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. All right. I was going to go with agricultural revolution, secondary products, and uh, birth of religion. Maybe not birth, but <laughs> it was a pain. It was a painful that, birth that we will be talking about. It was a breach birth. Um, Cult. Cult. Okay. Oh, good. I think we've I think we've pretty much <laughs> covered the topic for today. Uh, we're uh, we we thank our listener for joining us. Um, but I, I guess I guess we should get to the crux of the biscuit. Well, why, which don't, is, we, why don't we set it up first? Being as this is a little bit further afield in time and space than we sometimes go. We ne- we we never go there. <laughs> well, the, it's just this this article by um, a Russian scholar that uh, I ran across, who looks at the evidence for Neolithic skull cults and proposes that uh, from many sites, and these are obviously skulls, disarticulated skulls. Just um, say the word. We're all waiting for you to say the the phrase. That <laughs> just say it. Um, or no, I'm going to do it <laughs> in my own way. Uh, disarticulated skulls have been known for a very long time in Neolithic archaeology, and she proposes that these skulls and the particularly the sites that they're associated with are evidence of human sacrifice. There we go. There we go. There we go. Say the magic word and a dead cup comes down. (laughs) And um, yeah, I don't know. So hence, hence the lightning round, you know, your first impressions of, of the Neolithic, are they, are they happy? Are they pastoral? Are they people you know, thinking and farming, or is it something else entirely? <laughs> I do mean entirely. Is this an either or? I don't think it's an either or. Yeah, it's a continuum. I think this, the question is, there are a lot of skulls in what she calls the early Neolithic, in which we used to call the pre-pottery Neolithic A and B. And uh, as more of these skulls have come up, and as more of them have been sort of reanalyzed, it appears that there is some evidence for human sacrifice. Human sacrifice in the form of decapitation. So that's one big thing, right? <laughs> they, they lock the skulls off. I and have so much to say about this, but I'll okay, let me, All right, here. I'll just finish my little, yeah, please. Uh, please. my little thing and then you can hold for it. Just, and, just uh, because the skull's been removed doesn't mean it's been... Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> and um, she presents an argument that in the early Neolithic that these uh, very, very deliberate preparations of the body indicate a, a human sacrifice in association with special buildings, sort of foundation deposits or some kind of foundation uh, memorialization associated with these buildings and of course the sites in which these are found are sort of the atomic level of complex society, right? So these are the you know earliest iterations of monumental architecture and 
you know, complicated burial rites, there are burial processes, uh, plant and animal domestication, all of these things coming together uh, in one, one place. And one of the sites that is very prominent with all of these kinds of criteria are, is the site of China in, uh, in Anatolia. Where, where right, you wanted to work, you're, apparently. You're, you're gnawing at the bone or chomping at the bit or whatever <laughs> one does in a, in a human sacrificial context. Rachel, why, why don't you jump in before you burst at the seams? I guess the, the problem I had with this and everything that we read is, um, you know, okay, they're removing the heads of, of um, bodies that have... <laughs> it happens. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll give them that. <laughs> Wait a minute. They're removing the heads. I think we can all agree that the evidence presented shows that they are removing the heads of bodies that have not decomposed <laughs> Um, there's a big difference between removing a head of a body that is either freshly dead or has been dead uh, in a short amount of time, so it hasn't completely lost its flesh and sinews, uh, and uh, decapitation while alive. There's like two completely separate, separate things here which are being conflated. And um, I don't see enough evidence to show that these people were were uh, killed via beheading. Okay, thank you for today's <laughs> session. We'll be wrapping up now. This episode was brought to you by boric acid. <laughs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> well, you see, for me, the whole thing, it goes back to not simply, it, it, it's a question of how you how you interpret um, evidence. So, exactly. you know, the first the first articulated skulls in the in the Neolithic were discovered seventy ish years ago, sixty five years ago at Jericho, I believe. Mm -hmm. And Kathleen Kenyon um, came up with this idea that it's an ancestor cult, and that that. You know the the heads of 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 the elders were kind of lovingly removed at some point, covered in plaster and stuck into a wall, or uh, under a floor, or tucked into a niche somewhere, um, so that the the family could hang out with them. And I never saw the slightest bit of evidence. Oh boy, here we go <laughs> for that. Um, I mean, yeah, it's a kind of it's a kind of it's the most pacific interpretation you could you could come up with for for this stuff um, as opposed to what certainly world ethnography indicates which is that lopping off the heads of your of your enemies and, and hanging out with them um, as trophies is like the main thing <laughs> Boy, that that line could have come right out of the Big Lebowski. <laughs> well, that's what we aspire to here. <laughs> on, on their heads. That's the main thing, man. All right. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of look, one of the things about the whole topic of human sacrifice and the whole topic really of burial. It makes people that, uncomfortable. <laughs> well, speak for yourself. <laughs> 
But Wait, what? I, I missed something here. <laughs> <laughs> nothing nothing important. It's fine. <laughs> Moving on. Are we, are we now? Okay, go ahead. Uh, and, that, and that once we have the evidence, then we have all sorts of speculation. And that we have rampant, you know, speculation and lots of varied interpretation. And it's really, really hard to, um, you know, make any kind of definitive Make, make any kind of sense okay. of this. So let me right. just say right here for the listener's benefit um, that uh, I'm very conservative about these ideas and I sort of, I, I'm very old school and I'm very much a, a believer in the cult of the dead. Um, <laughs> Are you <laughs> and, now? <laughs> uh, from, from the Neolithic onwards towards the, the Bronze and Iron Ages. And um, I'm not, you know, I'm not ready yet to give up um, ideas about the sort of more Pacific uh, rituals that we might find um, and and sort of a old school definition of veneration of the ancestors. So I will be throwing that that uh, old school um, <laughs> viewpoint in. Right in our faces. Yeah, yeah. You're going to take off a shoe and bang it repeatedly to make that point. Something like that. Well, well back to the um, actual article in question about human sacrifice in the early Neolithic in northern Mesopotamia. I didn't get out of that, that this was a particularly Pacific process. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, really? I, mean, so I, I don't think that needs to be stressed. I think that, I think that there was some good evidence produced that there, was some, that there is some evidence for human sacrifice found in a couple of different sites. And, and that, you know, this very, very um, kind of, uh, the whole business about skull removal is, is really a very important part of the early Neolithic. And there's a lot of places where that's being practiced. Yeah, um, that we can agree on. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not disagreeing with anybody about anything. I, I have no feelings about this. Um, I thought that one of the, one of the things that, sh that was really nicely done was bringing this uh, particular pillar from building D at Gobekli Tepe, which there is a, a, a headless man represented. Um, and Gobekli Tepe, you know, sort of predates these, this uh, early Neolithic period by a little bit. Um, but I thought that that was nice because one of the things that we're lacking in Near Eastern literature is uh, a lot of, is any, it's not any, but certainly a, a kind of thorough or systematic presentation of human sacrifice. But here we have a very, very early kind of, um, you know, iconographic representation of possibly human sacrifice. So I think that there's something to all of this. And I think that there's something that I think, and I think that these, these sort of enigmatic early monumental structures, which we haven't, you know, we can throw around a lot of ideas about them. And I think that this is sort of an important idea um, that these are very, very important ritual buildings and part of the ritual is to, you know, perform some kind of human sacrifice. Right, well, at, at Chayanu in the pre-Pottery Neolithic B, there's something like 400 <laughs> skeletons buried there. 400 skulls. Skulls, and, skulls, right. Right, so, and, and innumerable skeletons. And there's also another little thing about, I'm just gonna interject this for a minute, sorry, Alex, because I'm gonna forget it in a minute. 
is that there's a little bit of evidence, I believe, in China that some of these skulls had evidence of trepanation in them. So they're not only just modeling skulls and decapitating people, but they possibly are trying to do, you know, some kind of medical treatment um, to them. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, a lot of there's a lot of sides to the to, certainly to the Chinese data, um, which is quite extraordinary because of the amount. Right. Okay. So so that's I didn't I missed the trepanation business, which brings I, up I found that in a in an article on Chinese. I don't okay. think it was in the article we read. Right. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, because that brings up a whole other bunch of, of questions, really. Um, what, who are they selecting? Are they selecting people who have had issues or have they tried to <laughs> themselves by- Unlucky people. Wow. All right, wow. Well, I wanted to bring up- that's, that's just a pretty rigid hierarchy. All right, you over there, okay. I have issues with you. All right, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll mention the, the case that I can't explain away. I can explain away a lot of this stuff is not human sacrifice. It's a gift. I, but the one I had trouble explaining away, or, or let me rephrase, the one I don't know what to make of it, is um, the Jerf el Ahmar um, example um, mm -hmm. site in Syria, where there's the skeleton lying on its back with splayed arms and legs. Did you guys catch right. that one? Yeah, that's the, that's the big example. Right. That, that sort of brings the of, of one, and there was fire. Wait, who's who's who has a dolphin cackling in their room? What what is that noise? Well, it might be my pages. It will take take the pages away from the microphone. <laughs> to read what I wrote. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> Alphonse and God, Gaston are getting into it again. Um. <laughs> anyway, the building was destroyed by fire, and the skeletal remains uh, showed signs of collapse of the roof happening kind of on top of it. Um, so is that really a sacrifice? What's going on there? And yeah, the person doesn't have a head. And yes, yeah, skulls were found in other parts of the building. I don't know what to make of this. <laughs> Mistakes were made. <laughs> some, some interesting well, lifestyle choices. It's a human sacrifice when the body is, you know, it's not like they arranged this this person and then chopped off his head or chopped off Maybe his they head did. Him. He, you know, he splayed and the roof collapsed on him or her. But the whole point is, is that the body was prepared and then the building was fired uh, deliberately. And in the firing of that building, there was collapse, which... Um, further affected the, the skeletal remains. Well, um, I'm not that, sure. Was the body prepared? I mean, you saw the image. Well, the head was taken off. Well, the head was taken off, but wouldn't you arrange the limbs? Okay, but besides that. No. I, 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 I think the, the head could have been taken off after the guy died in the collapse, and they just couldn't reach the rest of the body. That was my first thought. Oh, no, we just got the head out. All right. Just... <laughs> the head we can use in the We can use that. Um, we couldn't save the man, but we could save the head and venerate him. How's Perhaps that? the earliest T-shirt came to Dref, uh, whatever the name of the site is, and all I got was, all I got was his head. All I got was his head. All right. Um, all right. Do you want to explain another way why the body is splayed like that? Because he's a trophy. <laughs> what? That doesn't make sense. What do you mean? It doesn't make sense. He, a he, body it means he's a trophy. He's he's a trophy. He's laid out like a giant piece of meat, and he's gradually being disassembled, or he's uh -huh. has been disassembled, and the whole building is being fired as a sacrifice. It's a stretch. 
Why are you so figuratively? I'm looking at the skeleton now, and it is a sketch. <laughs> what? See, uh, why are you so opposed to human sacrifice? Oh, or, I don't know. Words I, I just... that I never expected to actually say <laughs> in a sentence. <laughs> I mean, what's your specific objection to human I sacrifice? Like, I don't like to think about it. I don't like to think that this was in any way, shape, or form a common. It's a, the ick factor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think that even in the Neolithic, these these people, these ancient folk who I've come to know and respect over the last 30 or whatever years of doing archaeology, I would like to think that they didn't do this. Ah, so now if I could do a, a good Sigmund Freud imitation. <laughs> sure you could. Well, you'd need a cigar, which you have. Which I have, but the, be able to see it. The, Viennese, the Viennese science has revealed something very important here. Mm-hmm that it's the ick factor as yeah. as freud i think called it somewhere that pre- that's preventing you from from having a f- what i think is a fuller understanding or appreciation of just how radically different and bizarre and icky um parts of the past were can i just clarify one thing though i, I think you're right just um, one thing. i have no i have absolutely no problem thinking about secondary burial disarticulating bodies after after death that that ick factor doesn't affect me so it's not purely an ick factor in general it's more about um the human psyche and how you know you can do this to another human and yeah you kill people during war all the time and that's a whole different thing and um you kill prisoners and etc whoa 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 whoa, whoa. kill prisoners By the way, think are we talking the- about human sacrifice there? <laughs> if you're killing no, prisoners, no, that's not that. Well, okay, so there's some issues <laughs> I wanted to bring up, and I'll bring it up now. Uh, Narmer's palette, okay, um, right at the moment of unification of of Egypt, uh, where you have these prisoners who have been killed, and after they've been killed, their heads have been removed and they're placed neatly um, at their feet or, or maybe between their legs, and. Uh, so, but that's um, clearly in the context of, of conquest. Um, so, so, you know, beheading post mortem is not uncommon. And you're and that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> that's not so icky. That's not so icky. Right. Okay. So that's just your own personal subjective scale. Is it? Okay. Well, you just said one thing is okay and one thing isn't okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, geez. Um, well, well I mean, no. Go what ahead. Do do, what do you do with the earth reaches? Yeah, oh, he went there. Possible, because um, that's that's you know that's clearly, and you know that's an example of human sacrifice. Because I can't get around that. But, no, you can't. I mean, there's, there's lots of examples of human sacrifice th- throughout the historical record. In every, in every society. I mean, there's I whole like empires. Like, as really the exception, though, don't you think? Well, I'm you sorry? Know, that Ur is the exception. Well, not if you're an Aztec. I mean, the Aztec <laughs> had a whole industry dedicated to human sacrifice. Yeah, and that's really icky. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to point out that <laughs> her, her views are hers alone. I, I think the... I think my point is, and I didn't realize that this is what we're going to be doing. <laughs> you would sacrifice for or against it. 
<laughs> we... My point is, is that while there might be only a few examples of human sacrifice in the Mesopotamian context, that there's lots and lots of examples of human sacrifice throughout human history. Okay. And, and I think that there are, and here I'm just going to say this, and I'm not going to elaborate or anything else. But I think that in our own society, we have a whole sort of elaborate metaphorical schema in which we also do human sacrifice, but it's, it's not as recognizable. Okay. Okay. That's metaphorically fair. Well, let, let me just drag us back to the Neolithic. <laughs> before, before, can I say one more? Before thing? our lawyers get involved. <laughs> can I say one more thing before you drag us back, which is um, I was just thinking from a sort of history of the discipline point of view that, um, and, and I, I know so little about, you know, uh, the Americas in general, that I think, um, you know, the West and the ancient Near East have been kind of um, put on a pedestal in a way, um, so that when we think of, of human sacrifice, I think of the second uh, Indiana Jones movie, you know, and that's kind of obviously not fair to the, the cultures at hand. Um, whereas when you think about Greece and the ancient Near East and Egypt, you've been trained um, from a Western point of view, or Eurocentric point of view, to kind of think of the niceties as opposed to the ickiness. So I will, I will undo my own arguments by, by saying that. And now you can go back to the Neolithic. Um, right, back to the Neolithic, early Neolithic, because this is another thing. This whole attention to the skull is very circumscribed chronologically in Mesopotamia or in the ancient Near East. And it has to, I think that there's an important element to that, which is sort of raised in this article, that there's an ideology associated with this and that this ideology has to do with early domestication and you know the creation of monumental architecture and undoubtedly hierarchies, um, but that it is circumscribed temporally. And you see this whole tradition fading pretty quickly in after uh, after six thousand BC, right? Okay, until it comes back, it comes roaring back with in the in the Ur three period, and you know early early Egypt. It's very popular, but again, for a very brief amount of time, exactly. and probably for different reasons. Right, and and that Ur three, there's a huge gap. Yeah, a huge gap. Right, right, and so obviously this modality and whatever it represents, this whole ideological schema um, that is, you know, created in the early Neolithic um, does not carry over in a direct way for thousands of years. It gets transmogrified into some other way of representing life and death and fertility and hierarchy and the role of, you know, the, the role of hierarchy, ultimately the role of the, of the state and all of those kinds of things. And then it pops up again for very probably very specific reasons in the Ur three period. And it doesn't we, continue. And again, it doesn't continue. There, it trickles out in a little way here and there in the very you know, early MV with, with animal burials, but it doesn't right. continue as a real modality. And um, I think it's- but even, though, even though in, in later periods and in all periods, um, brutalizing and executing prisoners is a is a very popular thing but that's a sure. that, that's a, another sort of power expression right um, yeah. so so it gets to this idea of you know 
is it the same idea that just gets you know shifted in terms of how it's articulated, um, or is it completely different ideas that you know are right. operationalized well, in you know each time period? After three thousand, human sacrifice, to my mind, is all about it's all about power and royal power, and right. yeah, there's a kind of mythological aspect to it. So at, or, at the, the, the death pit at Ori, you have all these soldiers and retainers and musicians and, and uh, you know, bathroom attendants and stuff who are, who are being rather brutally murdered, um, having their brains bashed in. And then they're, in some cases, at least they're being smoked for preservation <laughs> with mercury and they're laid out for display. Laid out before, display, I think, is right before the uh, before the 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 royal interment. So there's a kind of pomp, pomp and circumstance, but it's all obviously directly connected to the figure of the of the king and queen. It's the same in Egypt, and the same in China. In the Aztec world, it's different because it's the sun and the sun god and all this kind of. But how, but how different is it? Because it's the elite who makes up this whole apparatus. And it's the elite who are in control of it. And it's also part and parcel to empire building. Right. Whereas in the Neolithic, it's, it's the beginning. If you want to argue, it could be the beginning of the elites making up murderous nonsense. Um, but it has, a, it has a very puzzling kind of mystical, mythological basis to it. Why? Where, Why is it any more puzzling than in later periods in which you, like, like this is the thing, and this is what gets talked about in, the, in a lot of these articles on sort of understanding sacrifice in general, human sacrifice, if it exists, animal sacrifice, is that there's sort of one group that goes into a lot of, you know, religious underpinnings to this whole practice. And there's another kind of view that says, well, Religion is politics, politics is religion, so this is all about political power. So why wouldn't it be just a very, very small example or an early example, and therefore small, of the articulation and, dare I say, execution of political power <laughs> meshed into, into religious cult and all of that? Because, again, it, those are inseparable in the ancient Near East. Okay. I, I, th I think that the only difference... And it's a major difference is that we don't see the elite structures in the Neolithic so right. clearly. Okay. Right. Okay. And um, and yeah, we see some of the products or what we think are the products, like monumental buildings. Right. And we assume, right. oh, there has to be somebody organizing it, directing it, uh, coming up with the idea, blah blah blah, as opposed to trans egalitarian hunter gatherers spontaneously generating these these uh, these right. things. I think right. we need or, to or, or heterarchies. Right. You know, with each little group, right. One other thing, though, that needs to be mentioned also at Chayanu is that they found this, you know, large flat stone that has evidence of human blood. So, um, more than a coincidence. <laughs> so, at some level, I think there is a hierarchy because someone. someone <laughs> All right, Dad. All right. Me, somebody's know. getting killed, and someone's doing the killing. Or the or the butcher of an animal cut himself and is bleeding all over the stone. Um, I'm constantly wow. trying to find excuses. Um, but See, but that's the thing that you're 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 making excuses for these people. 
um, I am making excuses for these people, I, but I need us to back up a little bit and talk about even further. We certainly can't um, articulate from the Neolithic, but um, let's we, we need to consider it, which is motive, because we're ta- we're using <laughs> the word we're using the term human sacrifice all over the place. And um, if you are doing it, if you're killing a human as some sort of um, offering to the gods because you need success in building your building, you need success in whatever. That's a very different thing than the or three, the 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 um, or cemetery rather, uh, because there you have a lot of killing of people who are who have a role in the king or queen's life. You're killing servants. You're putting the charioteers next to their chariots. It's in their job description. It, well, literally it is. And, and it's really just check out their LinkedIn advertisement for this position. It's the same as leaving, um, must be willing to be killed brutally. Any other sort of tomb offering in a tomb, you, you need to feed the deceased. So you leave food with them. You need to leave them with their jewelry because they'll need in the afterlife. You need to leave them with their weaponry. So they'll need in the afterlife that you need your entourage in the afterlife. Now, granted, the or death pit is an anomalous example, but that's how I've always read it as um, it's certainly a huge display of power, but it's no different than any other sort of tomb, tomb offering. I mean, except it's gruesome, but, um, but, but that's a very different reason to kill humans um, and bury them in a particular setup than it is to remove skulls and uh, do whatever it is they're doing in the Neolithic. And this is why I really think it has more to do with an afterlife cult than, uh, I'm sorry, a cult of the dead um, uh, of any sort than, than with, with uh, sacrificing to feed the gods. But, you know, but I, I could be flexible about that. Um, <laughs> and I also, <laughs> that's and I also, that's I good to hear. <laughs> I'm very reassured. You can go off any direction you want, which the is- The article that, mentions a cult of the head. So it's cult of the dead versus cult of the head. Yeah, yeah mm, that's good. That's, that's good. good. Yeah, When we were talking about Egypt, which we haven't done yet, but which we read about a little bit, um, and burials um, near the near the king, uh, near the king's tomb um, in the first dynasty, um, everybody always wants to be buried near the king's tomb. That doesn't mean that these people were sacrificed, and that really hold it, hold it, hold it. Yeah. What can we just? <laughs> This is what one minute you're talking about motivation, and now I'm you're making an assumption there. that All right, everybody wants to be very near back the, to the motivation. Everyone <laughs> wants to be very near the king. Yeah. How, do you, how on earth do you get that? I, I mean, get it from Mastaba fields being right near pyramids. It's not like they well, all built and put right, in. We don't know what they wanted. They probably what? didn't want. We don't know what these people wanted. We know where they got stuck because of the rigid order of society. They didn't have any choice. We don't know that they wanted to be buried near the king. Maybe people, who knows where they wanted to be buried? They don't have a choice. Elites want to be buried near the king. How is that an issue? Everybody, everybody knows that. Man. I was going to say. <laughs> I didn't realize that rule was uh, sacrosanct. Okay. I mean, maybe my ideas are rooted in, you know, my original archaeology classes of the 1980s, but, uh, but you are what you are. I can imagine Mactel Melling saying, everybody wants to be buried. <laughs> rule, rule number two. All these Bryn martyrs dutifully writing it down. All right. All right. Rule number two. Hey. People who don't have any rank in society don't get buried. <laughs> they just get thrown out into the into For the sure. Wild. 
for sure. And if we think about our part of the world, you know, what, what constitutes an elite burial in the Southern Levant constitutes a little nothing burial in most of the other parts of the Near East. So, um, Oh, that's, that's sort of a truism about every, everything in the Southern Levant. Well, that's also it's, true. Um, right, go back to whatever it was you two were talking about. I have no clue, I can assure you. <laughs> well, um, Again, for me, it comes back to how you model the Neolithic as a whole, as something Pacific <laughs> and, you know, this slow kind of progression where they're experimenting and like, oh, look, I just domesticated sorghum. <laughs> like, oh, wow, that's look how juicy those those things are. And we're going to do a, a very quiet ritual as opposed to, yeah, we're going to go capture these people from the village next door and, you know, torture them and beat their brains in um, to feed our, you know, our vicious natures and our, na and our notion of, of, uh, of the universe. And I am more and more convinced that it's, that it's the latter. It's the latter. You know, Pacific societies. Yeah, but it's a... That was a UPS truck. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it. But how many people, when they think about, um, you know, the the birth, the 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 birth of the uh, who? What am I birthing? <laughs> my birth. <laughs> the Neolithic Revolution. That's the word I'm looking for. See it in in these in these you know violent terms. I don't see it in violent terms. Maybe I should. <laughs> Let's take a vote. <laughs> you, were the um, who, you were the one who started with Locke. <laughs> um, along those lines, or maybe not along those lines, lots of cultures have stories about human sacrifice. And um, <laughs> they're only stories. Well, well, no. Okay. So, but no, but this is a question. Is this based on some sort of memory of what used to be done? I mean, in the, in the biblical version, Isaac is not sacrificed at the last second, but in the other biblical story about Jephthah and his daughter, she is sacrificed. And in um, the Greek world, you've got Epigenia, who's also sacrificed. So you've got, you've got examples of human sacrifice. I mean, I can't deny that in literature. Um, so I just wanna throw that out there too. Well, I think in the later periods, at least among some elites, it was viewed as something horrific. Yeah. And, and it was something that, you know, they knew existed in a sense, as, at least as a concept. But there, there are mental prohibitions. Yeah. And, um, societal prohibitions. Yeah, yeah, societal prohibitions. That, uh, that <laughs> mental prohibition? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the origins of the ick factor right and uh and you know moral moral structures and and codes which didn't prevent those societies from going on brutalizing you know themselves and and others when necessary but it was just on a sort of different different basis more of an ad hoc basis oh i don't think it's ad hoc i think it's it increasingly structured with the increasing structure of a society and that it gets displaced in a sort of a, 
a more, uh, in a less recognizable way, but the same amount or even more power is being displayed or is being utilized. We're getting into very Rene Girard kind of <laughs> violence in the sacred territory here. <laughs> um, well, I just think that we should, uh, we should think of the Neolithic as something very, very different. Um, well, for sure. And, and, uh, and my, my idea, which is not mine, <laughs> is that everybody, everybody was, they're at the beginning of this long process of seeing themselves as humans as opposed to animals. That's interesting. And, That's and, interesting, actually, yeah. Uh, that and that's you know later on it becomes more more of a differentiation and and the violence becomes more uh, as he said jp said structured and directed and mm -hmm. uh covered or you know masked in some ways and so is the, all of the representations on the standing stones at gobekli and it's not just gobekli it's other sites too um is this sort of a a demonstration of the of a more integrated ideological landscape in which humans and animals and fantastic animals all exist in reality and to, and at one at sort of a common level or yeah you know. i think so I, we're we're just the animals we humans are just the animals that can you know carve stones and and do representation um all the other animals can't do that but we're we are one with them we're integrated with them and then and then later uh, just a little bit later than gobekli with with actual sedentary uh, sedentarism mm -hmm. it's with sedentarism that you well the, it, it, there's more of a differentiation right but when do you when are when do you want to because the neolithic is a long period and there's a lot of variation in it and so I don't, I think it's very hard to talk about the Neolithic, which, which you've sort of been saying the Neolithic is this or the Neolithic is that. But you bring up a very interesting point. Uh, and I just want to try to figure out when chronologically is this real ideological, major ideological shift in which they, as you put it, see themselves as distinctively human. I, I, I think certainly, um... It's, you can argue that after 6,000 in Syria and Mesopotamia. But I oh, think so it's... After the, so, so you're talking about at the very end of the Neolithic tradition, really? Yeah. But I, I think it's more than a, an ideological shift uh, as such an instrument. I think it's a real cognitive shift. Right. Okay. I, right. I meant uh, that. I, yeah. You're right. That's what I meant to say. That's what it's, I meant it's, yeah. it's just, you know, it's literally how people thought. Right. Um, of of their own re of reality as a whole, and separating themselves from nature. And so things like in Mesopotamian literature, where you get sort of all the stuff about Enkidu, that's sort of this mm, mm. weird kind of primordial memory of when we were animals, undifferentiated from animals. That's and nice. Now that's we're nice. writing about the differentiation. Right. Right. right, and his him palling around with with Gilgamesh, um, you know, being tamed by by the wiles of a woman, having a friendship, you know, uniting the two. You know, you could make all sorts of 
abstract arguments about separating and bringing back together and what's what separates man from nature, humans from nature, this kind of thing. I think that uh, Mesopotamian writers were were conscious of these things, and as were as were biblical writers um, quite a bit later on. And right. uh, the biblical writers must have been conscious of it just because of their awareness of Near Eastern uh, literature. Literature, right, right. Whereas the Mesopotamian writers were making it up for the first time based on this long you know, historical memory. Right. As were, as were their counterparts in, in Egypt mm-hmm. um, who were dealing with the same kinds of issues and, and, you know, dynamics, but in a kind of different configuration. Mm-hmm. Um, and in both cases, you know, the figure of the, of the, the king and royal power as the stabilizing influence um keeping all, you know, chaos at bay became extremely important. And that's, you know, an instrumental, right. an instrumental I, construct. I, right. And I think it's almost, I'm sorry, Rachel. Oh, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. No, go, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to, I was going to bring it. I mean, I was going to say all good, but I wanted to get back to some of the specifics. So finish, finish what you're saying though. It's law. Oh, uh, you know, order and chaos is, is really seems to be central to any state building. I mean, that's really the, the major goal of the elite is to, is to bring order out of Well, is it, a, is it a, simply an elite thing or is it, is it really something that everybody should kind of aspire to? No, I don't think, I don't know what that means. Everyone should aspire to it. Firstly, I don't know what you mean by that, but I don't think it is. I think that there are elements of society like pastoralists who are seen as chaotic, chaotic. because they, mm-hmm, they don't live in, because they're not settled in territory, well, they're territorial, but not settled. And I don't think that they see themselves as chaotic. And I don't think that they see that there are any issues of their chaos that they live within. I need to bring this back though, to, to the facts at hand though. Um, because I think I, <laughs> I think we're, it's a little late for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're, I think you're both absolutely onto very interesting ideas. Um, I want to bring it back to the, the skulls, the, the heads. Um, and um, it's not, you know, there's, there's a lot to say regarding power. There's a lot to say about um, taming and, and taming oneself and taming humans. Um, but what they are doing in the Neolithic period uh, whether you want to call it human sacrifice or whether you don't, is they are removing heads and they're doing something with the heads. And don't forget, there are also masks, um, right. stone masks and, and plastered skulls like from Jericho. Um, so the, it's the heads themselves that are important. So, so yeah, you're killing somebody. Why? Why are heads important? <laughs> Why are heads important? And what are you doing with the heads? And um, based on the skull, and, and you know, this isn't just me, but this is, based on the skulls and the masks, people have postulated that maybe there are annual annual parades, you're holding up your skulls of your ancestors, something like this. So I'm not, sh- in my mind, um, whether or not there is human sacrifice, I think that this is something else. The fact that you are dealing with the heads doing 
a treatment to the skulls once they're removed in many cases, putting them places, be it as an offering deposit or, I mean, a foundation deposit or, or something else, um, you know, you can't, you can't just say, ooh, removed heads. That means human sacrifice. What you're actually seeing is, ooh, removed heads. Something ritual is going on, possibly, probably post-mortem. They didn't all die by, by, uh, by <laughs> violent means, although some of them did. I don't think anyone is saying that all the skull removal is human sacrifice. I think I think you're conflating some things here. I think, I think that I was that, reading well, was conflating some things, but okay. Well, maybe, but I think that there are examples of human sacrifice from the early Neolithic, okay. a few examples of it, and that that is tied into this larger ideological landscape in which there's a great deal of attention to skulls. Okay. But there's just, also some weird stuff, like a Chinu in the last construction phase, there are 44 skulls of an age group from 18 to 29. Right. And that is a little bit concerning. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, kids head on a swivel or <laughs> might not be on a swivel anymore. Right. Um, yeah. I just want to go back to how knowledge and paradigms are constructed. Oh, you do? I do. Um, because I think that uh, I think that we we got ourselves into a into this path about ancestor worship for for because of the ick factor, and it's really constrained our ability to think think more widely about explanations. Why and, are it and and also just you know war prehistoric warfare in general. And just how warlike these things are. And every time somebody finds a cemetery, so there's this like Epipaleolithic cemetery in in the Sudan. And where, you know, there's like 150 people who've been buried and they all have their brains bashed in. Right. And and it, it this becomes some sort of, oh my gosh, it's this is so unusual and exceptional. Well, maybe we just haven't been looking at the, the existing data in the right way. That all that these are very, very competitive periods where hunter gatherers, <laughs> trans egalitarianism notwithstanding, um, we're, we're competing for space, for animals, for water, for um, human resources, where and and uh, where. You know, early agriculturalists were doing the same thing, and they're they're stealing, they're fighting, they're brawling. Um, yeah, and- I mean that that's all good. That's absolutely all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, <of> <laughs> but then explain explain give, give me some sort Riddle of me this Batman. They're arranging the skulls of these uh chinu folk into rows in the upper rooms okay yeah. i need i need some sort of ritual explanation and obviously we're not going to get any but there has to be one not from this know. crowd <laughs> <laughs> you can't discount the fact that what they were doing was being done for a reason if we even if we can't oh yeah well it's all it's all structured right it's right. very well, yeah, structured and very structured and there's just, a lot of different things going on you, you could be Okay. You don't. Yeah. I'm just okay. That's all I want to say. But um, I think you can't discount the human sacrifice possibility, and certainly the brutish nature of all of these societies. Okay. 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 I mean, if you if you look at ethnographic literature from around the world, 
agriculturalists and hunter gatherers are always brutalizing one another. They're brutalizing their slaves. They're brutalizing their own people. But then what they do with is, is very structured in terms of ritual displays of body parts and, and burials of body parts and, and really stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, Or, or, or or something else that we haven't talked about. Um, And I, I hesitate to go there. The C word. Yeah, we haven't brought up the C word, but you know. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it's something that there's a, a little bit of discussion evidence here and there, but it's much more associated with, you know, um, ethnographic studies and sort of. Uh, and hugely controversial. Um, controversial. Even though there is extremely good evidence. Um, from a variety of places, not least of all the American Southwest, right. that in specific places and periods, yeah, they were they were going there, and <laughs> but in a very but in a very uh, uh, structured structured kind of way. way. It wasn't like you know it's okay. not snacking. It's uh... <laughs> oh god, we also got kuru. Um... Right. Well, <laughs> just something that you don't want to get. <laughs> Very true. Um, no, Have you guys okay. watched the, the TV show Yellow Jackets? I watched one episode and that was plenty. Because um, that's an interesting meditation on, on a. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there's. In, in the sense uh, there, into cannibalism. There, but there's, there's desperation. Um, with, Always. But this, yeah. humanity, I mean, this is where we're talking about ourselves and the stuff they do with the archaeological data, which is, of course, what archaeologists ultimately do. Yeah, I mean, human society is always desperate. Right. They're always desperate about something. Well, yeah, and, but I, I don't have enough snack food. Or, you know, but I mean, it's, it takes, I would say, it takes a whole lot of uh, food insecurity before you resort to. Well, uh, not if it's part of the structured, you know, ideological right. landscape. Okay. Right. And not, not if it's a sort of power display. Yeah, okay. if it's hardwired in at the level of power. And, I mean, uh, I see it as a power display, but the, do you not think that the ick factor is there for all societies? Clearly not. Okay. Yeah, it's not there for our society. I mean, our society is horribly British. It's, it's right. we, we, we just, so, we, but we do frown on cannibalism. We do. This is everything yeah, else. Everything else pops, is okay. But it always pops up. It pops up. Right. Um, <laughs> but I would like to think it's the exception. <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's one of those things that comes in and out of fashion. And, so, uh, so are we are we sold on the idea of human sacrifice in the Neolithic based on the evidence uh, given for these couple of sites? I don't like being so doctrinaire. I mean, I think there's I think there's some interesting, compelling evidence, and I think that it's part of a very very complicated or very large scale set of you know, rituals that we don't fully understand. I mean, right. There are, there are, there are lots of other things that are going on that don't involve you know, killing people and chopping their heads off right. in, in the, in the mythological, religious, social landscape of these, of these immensely long periods. I mean, we're talking about four or five, 6,000 years. Um, and, and yes, maybe unfairly for the purposes of a podcast we're focusing on on some of the some of the ickiness mm-hmm. um 
but you know, I, I think it, I think it can't be avoided. Um, is, is what I, is what I'm thinking. And I think it changes the larger picture. Okay. So I'm willing to concede that there was human <laughs> sacrifice going on, but I also want Happened to emphasize the fact <laughs> that, uh, that they are very much after the skulls, very much after the heads. Um, <laughs> so it's okay. No, no, no. I'm just saying they're not, they're not being beheaded as a means of death, but the heads are being removed um, of these people. So and they're doing stuff with the heads. Okay, final thoughts? That was <laughs> I don't have any thoughts after that. <laughs> try and keep your doing anything with my head. <laughs> try and keep your head. That's my only it's my only piece of advice to our listener. <laughs> I actually have a joke about that, but I'm not I'm not going to tell it. It would take too long. All right, that that we'll save that for this week in the ancient near east after dark. <laughs> That's right. People can write in and ask you for the joke. Rachel, final thoughts? No, I gave my final thought. I'm done. Okay. Okay. Well, we seem to have lost our heads during this episode. So we'd like to thank Erez Dessel, Community Engagement Coordinator for the Chicago Philharmonic, for our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, the Dumont Television Network, presenting The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, live, narrated by Raymond Massey, Tuesday at 9 p.m. To get in touch, leave us a comment. Send us an email at thisweekintheancientneareast, as you know, it's all one word, at gmail.com, or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.